seated. Uh, today's a very difficult day to enter into liturgically, uh, emotionally, uh, because we move so quickly from the Hosanna, Jesus save, to the crucify. And uh, so we, we come in triumphal uh, entry, the, the procession with the palm fronds waving, and then we come to this really powerful and heavy passion narrative where our voices are joined with those who are shouting, Crucify! Because it is our sins who nailed him to the cross. Every time we hold resentment, every time we hold unforgiveness, every time we walk just a little bit over that ethical line, we have our hand on the mallet with the Roman soldier who is piercing Jesus' hand with the nails, and yet we go between Jesus save and crucify. And it's that tension that we live in on this day, both Palm Sunday and Sunday of the Passion. But he chose the nails. He chose to go to the cross. This did not take Jesus by surprise. He knew where he was going. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the fact that Jesus fulfilled the ancient feast of Sukkot, of tabernacles, where the priests had poured water down the steps. There was a feast of lights. When Jesus got up and said, or said to the Samaritan woman, I am the living water, and he said, I am the light of the world. Well, now we have entered into this week of Passover. Um, in the Synoptic Gospels, you know, there are, we believe there are three years of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, Judea, in the Decapolis, and all of that area, that he spent three years in ministry. But the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, spend an inordinately greater amount of time speaking of just this one week. A quarter of Matthew is spent on the time between Palm Sunday and the crucifixion on Good Friday and the resurrection. All of that, a quarter of the gospel, is spent on just one week. It shows us how important this time is for us who are the receivers of what he did for us and certainly for the disciples who have given us this narrative account. But Jesus fulfills the Passover feast. Remember the Passover that they're about to celebrate, everybody coming into Jerusalem, it swells to over a million people, according to the historians of the day. In fact, so great are the numbers of Jews coming into Jerusalem that they have to go outside the city but come in for the celebration because it celebrates the passing over of the angel of death 
from the Israelites and they are passed through the sea, the red water, the Red Sea waters out of slavery in Egypt into freedom, into a new land. And so this is the Passover of the Lord. This is when the Lord passes over and brings us out of slavery of sin into new life. And so we, uh, Jesus tells the disciples three times that that's what he's going to do, that he's going to Jerusalem to die. Immediately after uh, Peter has proclaimed him in, in, uh, as Messiah in Caesarea Philippi, remember Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are Messiah immediately after We hear this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And in the reading from Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah, who is talking about in this the servant, the suffering servant, He says he set his face like flint. Three times in Matthew's Gospel alone, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And they don't understand. They do finally, but they don't understand at this moment. And so Jesus has come. He's staying at Bethany with his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus who he had resuscitated from the dead. And he comes in in triumphal entry. Now it's difficult for us in America to figure what it must be like to be under the boot, under the heel of a conquering nation. Imagine, if you will, that you are not allowed to sing the national anthem. You are not allowed to worship as you would like to do. You are not allowed any freedoms. You have to follow exactly what the conquering nation asks of you. And if you don't, you are either thrown in jail or you are killed. You have no freedoms. It's a different nation who tells you where to go, when to go, and what to do, is really difficult for us to fathom. France knows what that was like, because they were conquered by the Nazis during World War II. The Nazi flag flew everywhere. The French flag could not be flown. Everything that they did, they had to do according to what the Nazis told them to do. Poland was the same. England nearly had the same thing happen. As a young girl, I remember the black and white war movies. And uh, it was just a few years after the end of the war. And I can remember watching those and having this kind of fear that that could have been us. We could have been, we were a small island, it could have been us. 
that had lost all of our freedoms. In fact, part of the British Isles, the Channel Islands, were taken over by the Nazis. And as in France and as in these other areas, there's an underground resistance going on who are trying to fight and to overthrow those who had conquered them. This is what's happening in Israel. Over and over again, there are these subversive groups that are trying to overthrow the Roman oppression. And so when Jesus comes in on a donkey, they would have remembered 160 years previously, Judas Maccabeus had overthrown the Seleucids from Syria who had taken over possession of Israel. And he came in with a conquering army and overthrew the oppressor. And so now there's a different oppressor. There's Rome. There's the evil of Rome. And they are waiting to be free, to worship exactly how they want to worship, to do things how they've always done things, to have their country their own. And so Jesus comes. Is he Messiah? Yes. And they're shouting out, Hosanna, save us. And the same palm branches that would have been put in the way of Judas Maccabeus are put on the ground and waved for Jesus because he is going to come and save them the same way that Judas Maccabeus did. Surely he's got an army somewhere. Surely he's going to overthrow them with violence, with the sword, just the same as Judas Maccabeus did. And so they are justified in shouting, save us. And there's great rejoicing. And as they come in with Jesus, there are others in Jerusalem. Remember, there are hundreds of thousands of people who don't normally live in Jerusalem who are saying, who is this? And they're going, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Hosanna, save us. Overthrow Rome. Overthrow the evil and oppression under which we have lived now for so long. The thing is, Jesus has come to save them. But he has not come to save them from the surface oppression and evil of Rome. There is a much deeper need that he sees. He's going to save them from evil. From evil itself, he is going to overthrow not with violence, but with violence done to him, to his body, through his shed blood. He is going to overcome evil once and for all. He chose the cross because that is the only way. If there had been another way, would not God have provided that way? And so when Jesus goes to the garden, he prays, Father, not my will, but thine be done. He is not coerced. He goes knowing what awaits him. The people wanted a prophet. They got a prophet, but not with the prophecy that they wanted. He prophesied God's judgment on Jerusalem. They wanted a Messiah to come conquering with an army. They got a Messiah who was raised up on a pagan cross as his throne. 
They wanted to be rescued from evil and oppression, but Jesus was not content just to rescue them from surface evil. He went deeper, much, much deeper, and he gave a mortal blow to evil itself. Their expectations and God's answer did not fully align, for his solution was much, much deeper than what they thought they needed. And it would require of him eating a last Passover meal with his friends to be betrayed by one of them. It would require that he spent a night alone in deep, intense prayer. It would require an arrest, a fake trial, a friend's denial, brutal torture, being spat at and mocked and finally nailed to a wooden cross where he would die an excruciating death alone. This is God's answer to evil. The God who ruled all, as we heard in Philippians, emptied himself and humbled himself even unto death on a cross. Because he loves you. Because he loves each and every one of you. So deeply, he chose the nails. He chose that our sins were nailed to him on that cross so that evil would be overcome. The people were crying out for one thing. God's answer was much deeper. Sometimes our prayers are at that surface level. We pray for one thing and we don't immediately see it happening. And that's maybe because God is answering a much deeper, deeper need. He will come. And we must come to that place with Jesus in the garden and say, Father, not as I will, but as you will. And at that point, we've moved further into our faith, deeper and deeper into our faith and surrender because we know that this God is a good God because he died for us. And therefore we can trust him to answer the prayer that we pray at a deeper level than we can even imagine. And we're brought to that point where we can say we trust completely in this God who loves us and died for us. In the name of that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.